Um, so today's reading is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and I'm reading from the ESV version. So now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Well, good morning. It's uh, wonderful to, to be in church with you here in Ainsford this morning. I've just remembered I'm allowed to take this off when I'm at the front. Isn't that a funny thing? It's become such a habit now, it feels strange to be allowed to take it off. Uh, well, thank you to Natalie for leading our service this morning, and um, thank you to those of you tuning in online. It's been a lot of fun watching various people comment. I think my favorite comment this morning comes from Trevor, who observes that uh, not only do we have a wonderful nativity here on the communion table, but in addition to various dignitaries from our biblical story, we seem to also have quite a large bottle of hand sanitizer watching over the baby Jesus. Oh, how the nativity story has changed in these COVID times. <laughs> Well, I'm really grateful that while it might be all a bit strange and strained out there once more, the true message of Christmas is that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And when has that felt more necessary a message than when things are beginning to get a little bit tense again? I'm not saying we as Christians need to take things any less seriously than anybody else, but remembering that our hope is secure in Jesus isn't anything to do with the sermon I had planned for this morning, but something I think is well worth saying. 
As, uh, as Natalie rightly said, here we are in the last week before Christmas. We've got a couple of great Christmas services for you before we get to the, uh, the big event. So if you want to join us, please do join us. Let me say that, not just if you want to, but please do. On the 24th, we're going to be having carols by candlelight. I think this building lends itself just fantastically to carols by candlelight. It is a pretty building. And uh, whatever else we can do to make the place warmer is always a blessing too. Even things as small as candles. I think too, we have a, a service in stone. The service here is at 4 p.m. So if you're a young family, we hope that that is a perfect time for you to come and join us here. Please do remember about bringing your mask and don't be surprised when we give you a nice big handful of hand sanitizer uh, and take your temperature on the door. We're going to keep doing all of these things. In fact, most of these things we haven't really stopped or changed. And so I would just encourage you to remember those things. But please don't be put off. Come on out. Let's celebrate Christmas the right way, the safe way, but really enjoy one another's company. If you can't make it at 4 p.m., you can join us at 11 uh, in Stone for our traditional not-quite-midnight mass service. Natalie's just shared the reading, so I'll not read that again for you. But if you do want to find that for yourselves, if you're rifling through the pages of your Bible and you just want to find that, that's Matthew 2, 1 to 12. Matthew 2, 1 to 12. This morning, I wanted to keep it really simple. Uh, I often say this, I want to keep it really simple. I think the hardest thing to do is to preach a simple message when we look at things that we've seen time and time again. It's really tempting as a preacher to try and want to reveal some new wondrous thing or take some obscure dive into something that we might not have thought or heard about before. Uh, and I think the challenge is, to, if you are going to do those things, if you're not going to do those things, it doesn't make any difference if you don't manage to make it really understandable. If you don't take a moment to think about what it is that we really need to be dwelling on. Dwelling on is one of those wonderful churchy words, isn't it? It means to think intently about. And so this morning, I hope that we might think intently about the symbolism of this story, the story itself. And together, I hope we might remember our Savior in a special way. If you, like me, have heard this story a great many times, it can be easy to go into autopilot on Sunday mornings, can't it? Am I the only one, probably not a great confession from the preacher, to say when I've heard a passage a lot of times, I have to remind myself to pay close attention to what is being said. Especially at this time of year when everything's so busy, before you know it, you're making Christmas lists you're planning gifts, you're trying to tick off in your mind the things that you've still not done, presents you need to get, cards you need to send, uh, 
rather unhelpfully, yesterday was the last day to send Christmas cards to arrive in time for Christmas Day. I think if you stick them in the post tomorrow, you'll probably get away with it, uh, but they don't guarantee it. And so I wanted to talk just first of all about the symbolism of this story. You know, the Bible is full of symbolism. The Bible is full of symbolism. One of the great ways that humans have learned to communicate, in addition to our words, is our actions. In fact, you've probably heard it said, actions speak louder than words. Others might have said, it's not what you say, it's what you do. That tends to be what we judge one another on. Have you noticed? People say things like, words are cheap. And so the symbolism in this passage, as we're seeing Jesus being recognized as the king of the Jews, that's what the star signifies, a heavenly sign of a king coming. The great juxtaposition in this passage is that while people from far off lands, dignitaries in their own lands, are recognizing and planning pilgrimage to visit this newborn king, they go to find this king thinking, well, he'll probably be in a, a palace. If you're familiar with who Jesus is as God made flesh, you might think, well, perhaps he'll be in the temple. But where do we find Jesus? The shepherds find him lying in a manger. The wise men find him in a house. No palace. No temple. Because his own people knew him not. I think we begin to forget how profound that is due to our familiarity with the story. I've wrestled with that this week. It's hard to read these stories through the eyes of the people in the story itself. To me, I think, well, of course Jesus is found in a manger. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was in a few school nativities. I'm a church kid. I've been to church quite a lot. I'm one of those strange breed of Christians that when I go on holiday, I like to visit another church. There's a divisive statement among the Christians. <laughs> Do you go to church on holiday? <laughs> we'll set that one aside because it's always best not to split a church before Christmas. But, but, Can we put ourselves in the place of the people in this story and understand better, because of doing that, the significance in this passage? I think the answer is yes. I think when we imagine how we would like an important leader to be recognized even within our own day and age, you wouldn't choose for them to be, built, to be born 
to build their kingdom from some stables on a farm. We would want them to be born in a hospital. I think if you've watched any of the coverage of the royal children being born, you've probably seen how they do the little photo op as they come out of the door and get straight into the big posh car. And sometimes if we're really lucky, we get a photo or two of a, a prince struggling with a car seat. That's always a lot of fun. I mean, who doesn't struggle with a car seat? That is one of the great levelers in life, isn't it? But we... Um, We wouldn't choose for anyone, I don't think, to be born and placed in a manger. We probably want social services to get involved if we found out that was happening. And that's just today. In this day and age, the people of God have been waiting for a saviour. They've been waiting for God to come. They've been waiting for the oppressors because they feel like an oppressed people. They've been waiting for some great change to occur. And in their waiting, the wise men arrive and they ask the king, the man in charge, the man sat in the palace, hey, what's going on? Where is this new king? And, uh, If ever you've been in the workplace and you found that you're getting a new boss, that's a disconcerting feeling. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's disconcerting for a moment or two, isn't it? You think, oh, crumbs, it's the first I've heard about this. Imagine you are the boss and you're getting a new boss. That's maybe doubly disconcerting. As we read this passage, I think it's interesting that that the chief priests and the scribes are now inquiring, you know, what what do you mean? (laughs) And so another layer of symbolism here is that the place of Christ's birth isn't in the palace or the temple, but it's amongst the people. More than that, it's fulfilling a promise of God that out of this place, out of this lineage, out of this town, will come the Lord. As I've been thinking about the Christmas story, I've been trying to work out which came first. Did the census come first? Or did God's prophecy that Jesus would be born in this place come first? How did God manage to contrive this scenario that Jesus would be born in the right place at the right time? Did he drop it into the mind of Caesar Augustus? Did he look at all of time and space and know that will be where he's born? And then told a prophet and the prophet told the people and the people went, oh, good. And then we fast forwards and now the people of the the day, the time, are being asked, where is this new king? And they're saying, oh, well, we don't know. After a little bit of feet shuffling and awkwardness, someone goes, well, I suppose he's probably in, um, in Bethlehem, really. I mean, that would be, if crumbs, if there is a saviour, that's where he would be. 
And then Herod doesn't say, well, let me go with you. I think that would be, well, I hope that would be what I would want to do. I found out that the new king, the new pastor (laughs) of the church has arrived, and I'm being told, well, you know, there is a a new pastor. You would hope that the pastor would go, great, I'd love to come and meet him. Especially if that person is Jesus, the chief shepherd, the chief of all the priests, the true leader of the people of God, higher than any king. Or perhaps his response is terribly human and broken. Perhaps it's not surprising at all. We would all feel insecure. I think what happens next, spoiler alert, uh, Herod asks, you know, when did the star appear? And it seems like even at this point, he's making up in his mind that he's going to eradicate any person that's coming to steal his throne. And so this story, this familiar story, this story that we know so well, are so familiar with, can become so complacent in, is full of depth and significance as we try and contextualize the word of God to our own understanding. We must first always look at the original context so that we can understand this story more fully. I think there's a little bit more symbolism I want to touch upon. You've probably heard this many times. But there are the gifts that the wise men brought. Hands up if you know any of the gifts that the wise men bring. This is terribly concerning, church. (laughs) Thank you for the few. (laughs) You've probably heard a couple of sermons. I know I have on the significance of the different gifts. Gold for a king, frankincense because he's God, myrrh for his death. But I think the, the symbolism that we miss is that what were the wise men on their way to do? They were on their way to, to visit, to worship, to spend time in the presence of this new king. And they know that he's just been born. That's what the star signifies. They're not expecting some 30-year-old man that they're going to spend time in the presence of, hearing him reveal his plan for his kingdom. But they're going because that's what you do when you want to show respect. You visit. You spend time. You make the journey. So whether it was a respectful, reverential thing, or whether it was quite literally to worship I think that pilgrimage that they took, the first pilgrimage on Jesus' behalf, is more than just symbolism. I think actually it conveys something that the church so quickly forgets at Christmas time. We don't just come to church to celebrate the season, we come to worship. We're not just coming because it's our practice, because it's what we do. We're coming because Jesus is worthy of our praise amongst the busyness of Christmas, amongst seasons of heartache and struggling, of joy and thanksgiving, and everything in between. God is worthy of our praise. And sometimes I think the most wonderful sacrifice of praise that we can give to God 
is our inconvenience, our time. There's nothing more valuable that we have. Ask the richest people in the world, what is the most valuable thing you have? I bet they'll say time. Ask the poorest people in the world, what is the one thing that they can give? The great equaliser. We all have 24 hours in a day. And so when Jesus asks for our heart, because, you know, that's what he asks for when we get saved. What can I give? What can I bring? As an old song goes, we bring him our hearts. We bring him our time. We take up our cross daily. We dedicate each day to the Lord, not just the moment that we're in now, but all that we have, all that we are, this moment and every other we give to God. Sometimes I think as the church, we've tried to lower the bar on this again. Sometimes we do this when we're trying to convince someone to become a Christian. We say things like, well, he'll wipe every tear from your eye. And then these new Christians have a bad day and they question whether they're saved. You know, that's not hyperbole. I've actually heard that happen. Or we say, you'll never need worry again. He'll draw close to you in every moment. But we still worry. What we're taught to do in the Bible is not to worry, but to trust in God, to give our cares to God, knowing that he's going to look after us the same way he does the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, which don't work a day in their lives, but the Lord provides for. And so I think we need to remember... We need to remember, we need to decide to remember, not just remember because we remember, but put time and effort into remembering the significance of Jesus every day of our lives. That this sacrifice of praise, this pilgrimage, this journey is something that we do daily. You take up your cross daily, you lift your Bible up, you open it, you spend a few moments in the Word, you make a sacrifice of your time. You sacrifice your time perhaps as you read this story. Recommitting yourself, familiarising yourself with the story of Christmas or some other passage. Just thinking about the story for a moment or two. This is a great story and um, I think something that's sometimes lost on us is, well, here they are in fact... We've got our wise men here in our nativity scene. And actually, this chap and um, this chap and, um, well, actually this one as well. Like most churches up and down the land, were late to church. They didn't find Jesus in the manger. They found him a little bit later. And these guys, like all of us, you know, I don't know whether they were having a bad morning, whether they'd had a row in the car on the way to church, whether they uh, had got lost on the way or simply had to go back and get their gifts. Bibles, you know, that never happens to any of us, right? <laughs> but this wonderful scene that we, we know and love doesn't look quite like this. I don't want to spoil it for us because I think that this is a, a wonderful picture But this story that we know and love, we've become so familiar with it, we're beginning to lose 
touch with it even. Let's not grow apathetic in the face of familiarity, as is so easy to do. Because this journey is not an insignificant one. These chaps have come a great distance to visit with Jesus. And for us, there's a cost to coming to church. I don't just mean the tithe. I mean, generally, it costs us to follow Christ. We're choosing to do things his way, not our way. We're choosing to put him first, to live our lives differently. And that costs something. The wise men don't just worship, but they bring gifts. They make a pilgrimage. It's not like popping to the shops and then dropping something off on the way home. This is the whole purpose of their journey. And what does your journey this Christmas time look like? What has your journey through Advent, as we've lit our fourth candle, look like? Every year we have Lent at Easter and Advent at Christmas, where we remember the journey, the journey in Lent to the cross, the journey in Advent to the Nativity, We remember these two significant journeys that Christ makes, entering the world and leaving the world. And I think that that's a wonderful tradition because it helps us to reimagine, refocus our lives on the person of Christ. And can I point out something else that I think you might have missed in the familiarity of this story? In fact, I think this is probably the most profound part of the whole message. In fact, if you listen to nothing else, if you've had a wee snooze, as my little Scottish granny might say, if you notice nothing else, if you hear nothing else, hear this. You know, the most significant part of this entire story isn't the evil that Herod goes on to commit, seeking to try and kill and destroy Jesus. It isn't the wise men with their wonderful symbolic gifts, these expensive tokens that they're giving to Christ that signify his significance to the people of God and anyone that chooses to put their faith in Christ as their Lord and Saviour. His death, his kingship, the fact that he is God... It isn't the shepherds as we considered the other week, as we consider the symbolism of the shepherds being some of the first people to hear the story, to hear the significance that the great shepherd, the greatest shepherd the world would ever know, is coming to a town near you. (laughs) Make a good movie trailer, wouldn't it? (laughs) The significance isn't even particularly this sweet little family with whom our passage last week said of, with whom the Lord is well pleased. I think the most significant thing about this story is Jesus coming into the world and already, and already, He's been born such a short while 
and that as people seek him out, he is found by them. I think that's one of the most significant things about Jesus. When you seek him, you will find him. Even lying in a manger, they found Jesus. Because all of heaven was pointing to where Jesus was. The whole purpose of God's rescue plan for humanity is to help us find Jesus. And whether God uses something like this church for a second great star, he wants you to know Jesus. God wants you to know his son. Another passage says that when you seek God with all of your heart, when you seek the Lord, he will be found by you. You might be thinking, well, how do I find Jesus? I want to find Jesus this Christmas time. If you've never found Jesus before, you know, if you're watching online, send us a Facebook message. If, you, if you're in the room and you've never found Jesus, you know, speak to me after. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to find Jesus because I think you find him in an instant but then you also need to seek him for eternity. Seek him for your eternity. And what I mean by that is, it's really easy to give your life to Christ, but you have to keep giving it. You need to understand what it means to give all of yourself. So often we talk about giving your life to Jesus, a come to Jesus moment. One of these times where it's easy, where there's a good opportunity to come to Jesus. But I think our lives are full of these. Taking up our cross daily looks like coming to Jesus. Choosing his ways over ours, choosing to be his disciples, full of grace and faith and producing good fruit. We want to be fruitful for Jesus. We want to be full of the fruit of the Spirit. We want to be full of the gifts of the Spirit. We want to be people that look and sound like the family we're being adopted into. You see, it's not enough just to, with misty or twinkly eyes, consider our sinless saviour entering the world, pouring himself out so that he could become God-made flesh, the perfect example to us, holy and blameless, The perfect sacrifice. God made flesh. Able to take our place. Because you see this whole story. This question about are we wholeheartedly seeking Jesus. I think is a question that's worth struggling with. Wrestling with taking a moment, giving our time over to, and then praying and seeking God as we ask ourselves and we ask the Lord, are we seeking you the way you want us to be seeking you? And then asking ourselves, do we know our Saviour? Do we know him? You see, we can choose to follow him, but I think that faith is meant to be a relationship, not just an observance. We've talked about dedicating some time, and perhaps that sounded like a duty and a decision 
rather than a privilege and a joy. You see, as we consider this sweet saviour lying in a manger this Christmas time or in a few months' time when we consider him nailed to a cross, a man having lived a perfect, sinless life, going to the cross in our place. You need to see your saviour. You need to find him, to be found in him. To be found in him is just a churchy way of saying you need to live and look like Christ. Because you need saving. I need saving. We need saving. You know, that's why God gives us a saviour. This Christmas story is about the saviour entering the world. And while it's a wonderful opportunity to consider the gift of God given to a broken and hurting world, the first Christmas gift ever given, and think about all the lovely Christmas gifts we're going to give and receive, while it's a wonderful opportunity to consider the choir of angels out on the hillside singing glory and hallelujah that the Lord has come, and then sing carols. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. While it's a wonderful opportunity to gather just as this sweet family did for that first Christmas, gathering our families, perhaps you're making tough decisions about, at the moment about what you will and won't do as you choose between various things that you're going to prioritise. Will I see this friend or will I try and keep clear of as many people as possible so that I can see my family? Perhaps you're struggling because someone's not going to be at the Christmas table this year. In all the busyness of life, with all of the decisions, with all of the preparations, the meal prep, the gift buying, presents and people, church and songs, festivity and fun. It's easy to lose sight of the fact that you are in grave peril without Christ. I think the fact that we've lost sight of Jesus in Christmas is troubling. I hope it's troubling. It needs to be troubling. I don't want to become one of those pastors, ministers, vicars, whatever you like to call the person who leads a church, I'm not fussed. But I don't want to be one of those church leaders who sounds like a killjoy at Christmas. But why would God send his son into the world to live and die apart from to save us from something much worse? The fact that we are raised to life with Christ just as Christ is raised to life, having overcome death and sin. Why would God risk Jesus? We talk ever such a lot about how we love 
the Lord and how the Lord loves us and how we want to be a people who love the community that we're a part of. Recently, someone said to me, well, you know, you, you have to love us, don't you? And they were someone in the community talking about how they, um, they thought the church just basically has to love everybody. They don't understand clearly that God loves everybody. The church tries to. <laughs> we try to. We try to because we're trying to copy what our Heavenly Father is doing so that people who are far from Christ might be raised to life in Him. We want to give them every reason to want to be here. We want to love and serve them so that they want to be here, so they want to do Christmas together, so they want to do Easter together, so that they want to do life together because we want them to know Jesus. I'm wrapping up a promise. <laughs> two last thoughts. I said a moment ago, only those in peril need a saviour. You're in danger. Your life is wasting away. You haven't got all the answers. Sometimes we're acutely aware of that. Other times I think we're quite comfortable. Perhaps you've been asking yourself, and to be fair, haven't we all in the last two years asked ourselves, what's it all about? Is this all that there is? Is this how it's going to be? Is this the new normal going to last forever? Is there more to life than this? And you know, I think that that's a great question. And we're about to have that wonderful week between Christmas and New Year's where time stands still. Have you noticed? It's like entering some sort of time vortex. Everything slows down. You don't know what day of the week it is. Is it Monday? Is it Tuesday? I don't really remember. I just remember we had Turkey a couple of days ago. When we're warm and cosy at home with friends and family, even if you've had to do a lateral flow test and stick that thing right up your nose to be able to do that, it's easy to feel like all is right in the world. But this question, is there more to life than this, remains. For some, it's that closing thought as they shut their eyes before they sleep. For others, it's the disquiet of their soul. And I think that there is, I think there's a wonderful answer. And I think it starts in this familiar and cozy story that we have sanitized and delighted in and this is such a wonderful story this is such a beautiful image it is such a wonderful time of the year and when we say merry christmas to one another i think we really mean it happy christmas you know i think the reason for our happiness in christmas contrasts wonderfully to the peril that we're living in. And the true reason to be merry this Christmas isn't a box of mince pies or even pigs in blankets. It's Jesus, born of a virgin, God made flesh, 
here to save us. And just as I said, my second to last point was that we are in peril. The good news is we have a saviour. And that saviour's name is Jesus. And so as we wish one another a Merry Christmas, as we think about those who are far from Christ being raised to life in him, as we rededicate ourselves as a church this Christmas time, every Christmas time, every Easter season, to the purpose and plan of Jesus, the Missio Dei, God made flesh, coming into the world to save sinners, saved by grace into the family of God, that we're no longer sinners saved by grace, but we're sons and daughters, that not just our salvation is secure, but our identity in Christ transformed through the person of Jesus. The baby we think of lying in the manger, the man nailed to the cross, dying and being raised to life, that we would be raised to life with him. And so here's my final thought for you. Here's my final thought. How can you more fully live out this Christmas story? How can you more fully live out this Christmas story? You know, for some people that means a a carol service, singing some songs, enjoying some festivities. Other people, that might mean inviting some friends around for some mulled wine and mince pies. But I think the underlying question is how can we more fully live out this Christmas story? And I think the only way to do that is to find Christ in it and to point others to Christ. You know, every character in this story is seeking Jesus. The star is pointing to Jesus. God's heavenly choir is coming and rejoicing because Jesus has been born knowing fully what the plan is still God is rejoicing in heaven and so for us whether it's mince pies and mulled wine with friends whether it's Christmas dinner with family whether it's a carol service at church whatever it may be whether it's taking your quiet time a little more consistently this Christmas season I think the answer can be different for every single one of us because I think God is a relational God and he has capacity to meet each one of us individually and corporately. And so I would just challenge you to think about, to rededicate yourselves to the message of Jesus this Christmas. What will this look like in your life? How can you better understand the symbolism, the story and the saviour. Because if you get a hold of those three things, appreciating the cultural context, reliving the story of God made flesh, and better understanding who this sinless saviour is, I think Christmas is going to take on a whole new significance. And I hope that that's something that you choose to share. I'm going to pray and then uh, I think we've got another song in just a moment. 
So, um, Heavenly Father, I just pray for those of us here in the room, those of us here online, perhaps those watching later. Father, we pray, we pray that you would help us to answer this question. That you would help us to better appreciate who Jesus is in this Christmas story. And in our Christmas. We want to give you all the glory that you deserve. Help us to point other people to Jesus. We want to be a people that are knowing and loving and pointing others to our Saviour, our Jesus. Amen.